0: What's up? Somebody wake me? Yo, what's up, man? Is this thing on? (laughs) Jay Soderbergh. That's me. John Luckenbaugh. That's him. Two podcasting veterans. One from the production space. And one from the outer space. And we're we're, we're, we're Q&A. Weekly news and tips in podcasting. On podcasts. Hello and welcome to another exciting edition of the Cued Up podcast on podcasting. Every edition is exciting, but this week's is even more exciting because John Luckenbaugh, who is the uh, founder and co-host of Cued Up, we have a guest this week, John. It is super exciting, Jay. How are you doing today? I'm doing fantastic. And we're about to ask that same question here to the janitor of podcast ad tech. That's how he said he wanted to be referred to. He is, of course, the writer of the Sounds Profitable newsletter. You can find all, a lot of his works and educations at soundsprofitable.com. He is Brian Barletta. Brian, thanks so much for joining us on the Cued Up podcast on podcasting.
1: Thank you so much for having me. It's a lot of fun to be here. And yeah, you guys have all these cool titles and uh, you know, I think I should represent what I do, trying to clean up the understanding here and make it accessible for people. My LinkedIn says buzzword of podcast ad tech, so I try and keep it real because I'm just a nerd with opinions. Aren't we all? Isn't that uh, what everyone (laughs) is? I think that's podcasting, right? (laughs) (laughs) We definitely want to dive
0: really deep with you, uh, especially about dynamic ad insertion. But there was a news story that happened here recently that I feel like you are most capable of giving us a little bit more insight, and that is the sale of Triton Digital to iHeart Media, what uh, when you heard this news, what were your first thoughts?
1: Uh, oh crap! It's freezing. There's a blizzard in Texas. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I woke up that morning, thankfully, with heat. That week was really rough in Texas. Uh, just we don't have the infrastructure to handle any of that. I'm from the Northeast, so cool. I could drive in it, but nobody else could. But I, I remember waking up that morning and seeing that, and I just turned to my wife and I was just like, nobody could slow down for us. I thought it was really interesting. Like iHeart is this big behemoth of a media company and they do so many different things. And when they bought VoxNest and Spreaker, I thought that was really a change of pace for where they were aiming for. Now, the iHeart team is some of the smartest people I've ever interacted with when it comes to data. When I was at Megaphone, they challenged me on everything and their presentation and reworking of the data was top notch. So when they bought Spreaker and VoxNest, I, I assume that would be a quick exit for them from Megaphone, they're still on Megaphone. Now, the purchase of Triton, I'm a huge fan of Triton. Like I think that Triton and Omni are are really cool companies. I think they do a lot of great stuff for the space and they're more than just podcasts. Omni is podcast hosting, but Triton is programmatic audio. That's a big thing. You know, a few things jump out to me. I mean, One, the combined assets between the two were bigger than Megaphone, yet the price was a little under. So that was definitely interesting there. There's a ton of overlap between VoxNest, Spreaker, and Triton Omni, and so we're going to see what happens with that. You know, a while back, Liberty Media, uh, which is one of the main investors of SiriusXM, Pandora, as was Simplecast, that whole unit, they are like a a primary stakeholder and decision maker for all those companies, they had approval to buy a controlling share in iHeart. They had like a 5% at the time, but they got approved to buy a controlling share. I wonder if that's still valid. I don't know enough about the business side. But then to make things even more interesting is that last week, Global, which owns DAX, which is a programmatic audio exchange, a part of Global that doesn't necessarily represent DAX, bought an 8.8% share in iHeart. So I don't know. You know, I I looked at this year way differently. I don't think that was on the table for things that I was expecting. And I don't want to know what it means. The biggest thing for me is, the Triton Tracker, which is so cool, their podcast metrics. Like we did a deep dive on it. One of the things that we highlighted was that they don't sell media. So they don't sell any ads themselves and they don't make content. And now that iHeart bought them, that's kind of not the case anymore. And you know, what does that mean? What's the value of a tracker if a major media company owns it? And uh, very recently, and I don't believe it was connected to this, but Pandora chose to leave the tracker. So I think the most interesting thing is going to be what iHeart becomes with all of this. They bought a lot of killer people. They have a lot of awesome ideas, but if they don't consolidate and set a clear goal, uh, it's just a lot of spending money.
2: Do you think there's any other company that really compares with their overall audio solutions for the industry,
1: and advertisers? Yeah, I think that the three giants right now are the Spotify stack, and then we have the iHeart stack, and then I would say Liberty Media with the AdsWiz, Pandora, Simplecast, uh, and SiriusXM. Uh, well, sorry, Stitcher, Midroll. How could I forget that? I mean, like, AdsWiz, that, that stack purchased things that complemented each other, and there was very little overlap, and everything was just changing hands. So I think they're really positioned to, like, continue to lead in that area. Whereas iHeart's going to have to consolidate all of this and really figure out what the streamline machine is. And today while we're recording, there was a Spotify announcement about them trying to pull in Anchor and Megaphone and it's still not there, right? They still couldn't even fully announce what it is. So I would say that if I rank them in preparedness to take the next steps, it's the Liberty Media stack and then it's Spotify stack and then this iHeart stack. But that's, that's the giants. I think. We've heard rumor that Amazon is, is interested in ART-19, and that could put another competitor in the place, but I don't know. I, I, think, I think this year is going to be way more surprising than, we, than a lot of us were expecting.
0: See, on a previous episode, I had made the, the reference that AdsWiz was going to be next up and totally forgot that AdsWiz was part of the Liberty Media stack there. But ART-19 would be interesting to Amazon and would obviously make the most sense if we're trying to put all these pieces together.
1: Well, yeah, because Wondery was, uh, Hernan Lopez from Wondery was a major investor in Art 19 and hosted everything on there. And I believe they're still on there. So it just, it kind of lines up really well. So, I mean, I hope that happens for them. Uh, I think that that would be a good, good path to them. Then the question becomes, who does Google buy? (laughs) Is there someone for Google to buy? The technology is really cool. Like right on the hosting end and the, the programmatic, uh, and the ad serving in general, there's a lot of partners out there and. You know, um, it depends on how Google wants to go about it. I mean, Google could take any hosting partner that they like the front end and the relationship aspect and actually integrate DoubleClick Campaign Manager and their full ad tech stack. And that becomes really competitive because that allows people to pass this whole podcast specific programmatic marketplace space and go right to Google and right to the trade desk because that's where the money is, right? If, If we're trying to talk about the people who are already spending in podcasting, they know to go to your individual show, or to your network, or to Adswiz or Triton, and then sometimes they'll use Trade Desk. But the big money is in the people like getting the people who are in the Trade Desk or in Google, and that's where they spend all of their money from getting them access to podcast inventory. That's how we go from you know te- uh, one billion to ten billion. Wow! <laughs> so Brian,
0: you, you we've been talking about the ad tech. You're the janitor of ad tech. Dynamic ad insertion is something that I've known for quite some time and have been a big believer in and a big proponent of. I have never seen anyone do what you did recently in the sounds profitable newsletter of actually writing out how dynamic ad insertion works from a content perspective in the newsletter. It was brilliant. It was really well done. And I think things like that can really help podcasters understand exactly what dynamic ad insertion really is. And it's not a dirty, three-worded acronym
1: that's the whole goal of this I mean like my background is I wanted to be a history teacher and then I didn't after five years of college and I messed around with ad tech I had a, an opportunity to help in the the mobile app space and at a company that was just like could you do this and I said yeah and I just clicked on things till it broke or until I caused millions of dollars in damages. And the problem is, is that people aren't allowed to do that anymore. People don't have time to do that. And these things are thought of as evil. People think advertising is evil, but we all really love advertising. We hate bad advertising, but everybody wants to see the cool Super Bowl ad. So my entire goal is to say like, this is how these tools work. Like you're currently building a Lego set without instructions. So let me give you some instructions. Also, like here's an idea for a template. Why don't you edit it a bit? Why don't you do your own thing? Why don't you mash up the Jurassic Park and the Star Wars one together? Like I'm trying to show these live examples because my creativity is in like, here's the ones and zeros. Here's how it works. I want to see people push it. So everything I can do to provide people a hands-on example has been great. The one you're talking about was with um, a million ads. They have a demo. And this is what I keep trying to explain to all the companies in the space. If someone can play around with your demo and understand what you do because of it, then it is a success, right? If I have to sign up and get approval and sign an NDA and wait for an uh, webinar for a salesperson to walk me through it, forget it, right? And we're all drowning. This idea that we have free time, this idea that oh, there's no more commute, it's a lie. My entire job with the newsletter is hopefully someone can sit down, drink a cup of coffee read it, find value in it that can help them better themselves. Because I think management is failing people on educating people. And I think that there's just not a lot of company internal education. And even for the the smaller podcasters, the people not collecting a paycheck yet, like, get weird. Like, you're in this space to do weird stuff. Like, have fun with it, right? Like, if you don't have a sponsor that you're going to offend or lose, then that's the time to experiment. Have the most fun with it. If your episode crashes and you get 100 emails about it, congratulations, you got 100 people that care about your episode. So have fun with it. This isn't broadcast television. This isn't high stakes million dollar stuff like experiment and use this as a new part of your canvas. Don't just think about the final MP3, but think about what you could do if that MP3 could be a little bit more broken up. Mm. I agree
2: with Jay. The the million ads demo is really, really cool. And it's easy to use, too, especially with your your audio description alongside of it. It's really well put together. So for our listeners, can you tell us what like what the fuss is all about with the uh, dynamic ads or
1: what is dynamic ad insertion? Yeah, absolutely. So you know, in this podcast right now, if I were to uh, use Sounds Profitable as an advertiser and I say, everybody should check out soundsprofitable.com. It's where I write my newsletter. You can see the product deep dives. You can learn about my podcast, all of that. That's a baked in ad. I'm not a host. You guys are the hosts, but I'm a guest. So quote unquote, host red ad right there. But dynamic ad insertion would allow you guys to insert that as a separate point, right? In one of two ways. One, you could overwrite the area where I just had an, like I just said that so that you say like, Brian, we'll leave that up for three months. But after that, we're reclaiming that ad space. And so that's a way to just like edit that on the fly and say like, after three months, this space is reclaimed. Two, it allows you to say things like, we'll be back after this break, which Jay hates. And we're going to talk about in a minute. Oh, we're (laughs) going to talk about that. (laughs) But what it allows you to do is to have a spot and say ads can go here. And at the time of download, determine if an ad's available. Now, that doesn't mean it has to target the individual listener, but it can be as simple as today we're recording and we haven't sold the ad inventory yet. And it's a different team that handles the ad inventory, right? Like you're producing the episode. You're going to have a salesperson who's out there selling, or maybe it's you, but guess what? You can't always make it line up. And I have podcast episodes that are not going to air for like three months that I recorded a month ago. And if I didn't have an ad for it then for that time period, now I can fill it whenever it works and I don't have to edit that file and I don't have to keep track of where the ad is in that file and what episode, because if you find out five years ago, you had a baked in ad and that company is now racist, like how do you remove it? If you got to go edit the episode now with dynamic ad insertion, you just pause the campaign. So the whole intent is that at the time of download, the episode has markers in it and it says an ad is eligible to be flighted there. If you, the podcast host, determine that there is an ad available for it targeted to their household and then also with a focus on like everything for that day, week, month, year, whatever you want. Right. That allows at the time of download. To determine what ad is available instead of forcing the production team to be responsible for filling the ad space. To me, it was it was a no-brainer to work with dynamic ad insertion right from the beginning. And I don't
0: know what's taken so long for people to understand and embrace it. Now, let's get to the stuff that we disagree on since you brought it up. And that is as a content person, no media should ever say, should never telegraph, hey, here comes my ad. Sit around and wait for this ad to come. Because We all know, especially in radio, that people immediately have that boop, that reaction of I'm going to hit the next button. Yeah, you're right. I'm going to skip this ad. So there's no reason to telegraph that. And there's a better way to keep that audience engaged by giving them that cliffhanger, right? Give them that tease. Let them engage in your content in a better way. And you know what the content is coming up after the ad because you've already recorded it. And if you haven't already recorded it, then you can record the tease after you've already recorded it. Because you're putting the T's in the dynamic part, it makes it a little bit easier to work with. So there's no reason to ever say the words, we're going to stop and take a break because one, you're not breaking for anything. And two, if your audience is breaking in a podcast, they probably ain't coming back. And then the other thing is never say we're back. It was a funny SNL sketch with Jimmy Fallon back in the day. But oh my God, it's like it's nails on a chalkboard to me. I can't stand those two phrases
1: look, I agree with you on that. I think that's interesting. So, okay. So let's look at it this way. My podcast is an interview and we split it. We find an area in the middle that I put my two mid-roll ads in there. And now I know that I'll always have host red ads that I do because I provide free ad space to basically anybody who wants a host red ad that's a disenfranchised person, um, you know, ideally, you know, looking for people BIPOC with disabilities or marginalized gender, right? I'm doing everything I can to use my platform to uh, help them. So I know that that's one spot. I know that right after it is an announcer red spot. I know I'll always have two ads. So what you're saying is that the first part of the podcast is about a certain thing, right? And so I can say, when we get to my first ad break, I can add another ad break in there. So now it's three. I can say like, I want you guys to think about what we just talked about X, Y, and Z, and really figure out what that means to you and then go right into the ads. Sure. That's a creative way to do it.
0: What more of what I would be saying is if I'm doing an interview with Brian Barletta, I can say, that's a real interesting point, Brian. That's one great way of getting into your ad
1: breaks. In just a moment, I'm going to ask you about listener metrics. Ah, so, and so basically I add that in there so that it's, I say what's coming up next, and right. I don't say that an ad's coming, but we got the right language. I say, I'm so excited to continue talking about X, y, and Z next and hear your opinion on blah and then we go into the ads I don't have to say anything about the ads because we've right. set that break. That's a neat idea. I'm gonna give that a shot
0: right and then when you come out of the break, if you've really recorded everything ahead of time, you can tease the next topic that will be coming up even later in the show to get to make that you know because you you said in a minute if there was no ad so in in many instances with dynamic ad insertion, you don't have, hundred percent fill. There may not be That's an ad spot. So if you say, you know, in just a minute, I'm going to talk to you about listener metrics. Brian, why don't you tell us all about listener metrics? What does that mean to you? What are some of the common terms that we're going to need to hear? It might sound a little awkward to me. It still sounds way better than we're going to take a break. Welcome back. No, I hear you. It's smart. I'll play around with it. At that point, you can then tease something else, and then say, "Hey, listener metrics. What are they all about? What should we know about them?" What are we not getting from them? By the way, this is a big tease because listener metrics is coming up.
1: <laughs> In <this interview. laughs> that's smart. Yeah, yeah, I like that. Okay. Yeah, I'm about that. I'm going to give that a shot. I'm going to pick your brain on it and we'll see about that. And then you can do a shout out to the podcast that I'm pretty sure my mom listens to 200 times a month. And uh... <laughs> That's <laughs> that awesome. Good. Yeah.
2: So Brian, this dynamic ad insertion, is this something for that all podcasters can use, independent podcasters, or is this something that's more For the business organizations
1: to use or? I mean, anybody can use it, but a lot of hosting companies don't provide it right now. If you look at if we took every podcast hosting company out there, there are fewer with it than without it. The thing to keep in mind is that, like, I quoted incorrectly. I thought I had my information right. I got to update the article, but they charge a little bit for it. Right. There's a cost per thousand impressions or downloads that is associated with using it for a lot of platforms. Some do bake it in at no additional cost. You got to weigh those values there. And there's different variations of it. Uh, Buzzsprout, who I'm on a uh, tear with right now because they have been dealing with uh, denial of service attacks this weekend. And I'm doing everything I can to make sure people know how cool they are and their great service. They offer dynamic content insertion at the beginning and the end of a podcast. That's a great starting point for people who want to try it on the content side and want to respect privacy to the utmost degree. I believe that you can do a lot of these other things with a privacy mindset if you go about it the right way, if you sign the right contracts with your hosting providers and advertisers and really put your foot down on how this works. But there are more robust solutions out there. I use Wushka, great group out of Australia, really fun to mess around with and very responsive to all my crazy requests. As long as you're willing to pay for it, anybody can use the tools. This idea of like enterprise most of these companies that have an enterprise tier, they still offer the dynamic ad insertion to the lower tiers. And the the features for enterprise are, are really nothing to uh, write home about.
0: <laughs> I can say, having come from this particular part of the business, that uh, there's different types of dynamic ad insertion as well. So when we talk about utilizing the tools for the independent podcaster, those tools are very hard to come by and do tend to come with a heftier price tag. This podcast uh, that we're on right now is hosted on Red Circle, and Red Circle has made those services free as of this current time and allow you to do mid-roll insertion as well, which is the one step above what Buzzsprout is doing. But I'm sure Buzzsprout is going to be working on mid-roll insertion. It's funny. Pre and post is really easy to do. It's the mids that uh, are a little bit more difficult to understand.
1: Yeah, splitting splitting an episode is tough. It's not easy. It, you know It requires a little bit more engineering work for it. And it's definitely more of an advertising thing, whereas pre and post is a content thing. And I agree with how Buzzsprout is going about it. I think any movement towards it is great, right? I think, you know, Red Circle, great example on that end, right? They're offering the ability to do programmatic. So that means that dynamic ad insertion means that I can add in an ad about Brian and Sounds Profitable on my Sounds Profitable podcast, or I can do a direct sold through dynamic ad insertion so I don't have to worry about it. But programmatic is the idea that instead of me determining what ad goes there i make a call to somewhere else that has all my permissions and set up and information and says return back with an ad that makes the most sense that hits my guidelines said no gun no politics no alcohol but everything else is fine and i'll take anything over $4 CPM and that's programmatic right mostly open marketplace there there are different intricacies on that end i think that are for a higher end like en- of, not enterprise but like You draw your paycheck and get a 401k from it type of business, but programmatic and open marketplace are going to be really joined at the hip for a lot of people that are trying to make money off their podcast as a smaller team. And they're nothing to be scared about, right? You can set it so that you have full creative authority over everything, depending on what platform you're on and the relationships that are set up. You can say, I have to approve every creative. Now that's a lot of work. And the end result could be that you approve it and there's no more impressions left for that ad. But if you want control, it takes time. If you want to make money, either someone else has to make money off of you or you have to put in the effort. So lots lots of options out there. It just requires taking the time to breathe and read. How do you think
2: uh, increased programmatic ads will affect podcasting?
1: I think that podcasting is a unique creature. And so whoever's playing bingo, mark that off your list. It's an intimate (laughs) uh, category too. So mark that one off there. And I think what you're going to see is a lot of people are going to try and cram ads in there. And the end result is for some people it'll work, right? Some people, their content is compelling enough that it doesn't matter that every 10 minutes there's a handful of ads. And that's awesome because they don't want to pay for the private feed or whatever, and they support the artists and they are cool with it. Those are all valid options. But I think that there are going to be some other shows that. Too many ads drive people away. Edison Research is a great place to focus about all of these things and and read up on the latest statistics about how people are feeling about ads. And it hasn't shifted too much, but people don't like bad ads. And the problem is, is that bad ads outweigh good ads. It's a tough mix. I think there's a lot of money to be made for creative shops that want to get into creating ads for brands in podcasting because every partner that brings over their audio ad from. Streaming audio or radio, it's not going to perform well. They're not going to have a good time. John, do you remember
0: in that episode that we broke down the Edison research on the ads, what the difference was percentage wise between pre recorded and host read ads? Yeah, Jay, it was
2: episode nine, I believe podcast advertising and technical difficulties, the Edison research report on super listeners. And what they found was. That the opinion of podcast advertising that uses host read ads is more favorable than pre-recorded ads, to the point of fifty-one percent found it favorable to thirty-six percent of pre-recorded ads being found favorable. To take that a little bit further, the host read ads the surveyed audience is more likely to pay attention to host read ads compared to pre-recorded ads at 24% to 13%. And 25% strongly agree that host read ads are a good fit for podcasts compared to 17% agreeing that pre-recorded ads are a good fit for podcasts.
0: Understanding that pre-recorded ad doesn't necessarily equal a bad ad either. You're going to find more prolific bunch of bad ads in the pre-recorded ones than you will with host read ads just because of that intimate relationship uh there i'll I'll give you another bingo check mark there between the host and the and, and the audience but in essence I think the difference was only like eight percent it was still a lot of positive feedback no matter what type of ad it was in the podcast
2: right one of the things that we came away with jay was that increasing the ads wouldn't really be a, a negative result on podcast listens correct
0: I think so I would recommend going back to our back catalog and checking out that episode that we talked about the edison research on podcast advertising brian let's get into some of the analytics how do we measure the effects of the ads and and sort of what analytics should we be looking for
1: podcasting is glorified file hosting you know we need to make that clear right your device knows all the information the app knows all the information spotify apple google all the amazon all those partners know what you're doing every action you're taking Even if you get to the point where you're not giving them as much information, because when Apple authorizes you to say, don't share my mobile device ID, they still know you because you logged in, you created an account, you have a relationship with them. They don't share any of that with the podcast host. All the podcast host knows is, was the file requested? Not even possible to consistently determine if that file was requested for a download or a stream. Tons of cool ways to guess at it, but it's not worth it with how many podcast apps are out there to make that a main priority. So what we know is that the podcast app was downloaded or the, sorry, the podcast episode was downloaded. And then from there, we're able to know a little bit further. Did the part of the episode with the ad get downloaded? So we have an episode download and then we have the ad download. Now the IAB is a bureau that is out there focusing on regulating this and saying what these metrics are. And they say one minute of true audio download. Well, if you, you have baked in ads and there's two minutes of pre-roll at the beginning. There's no way to tell, so that's a download. If one minute happened, and they same with once the download gets past the ad, that is an ad download. These are the core metrics that we deal with that we want to focus on and try and build around. But one of the cool things is that statistics matter, right? There will be one podcast app that your podcast is listened to on the most, and that app likely tells you some aggregate listener statistics by episode usually, and or by show or by month or however you want to do it, you can see the aggregate listener dropped off. 75% of my listeners listened to the end of the episode. And so you can apply that numbers, right? You can take these aggregates and apply them to your actuals. We're in this spot right now that people are frustrated that they can't find, okay, at 12.01 a.m., this IP address from Austin, Texas on iOS downloaded this podcast, at exactly this time with all this demographic info, nobody's using it. We got to get away from that. What we do know is that this many downloads happen and they're verified. And then that download number compared against the percentage of listens through, that's attractive. That's interesting. So what we're left with is episode downloads, uh, ad downloads, and then aggregate listener metrics depending on your highest podcast app. And those are the real important things to pay attention
2: to. So based off those metrics, is that why you have different cost points for different ad times during the episode? Would the most important ones be the ones that came
1: on the pre-roll? That's actually really funny. Nobody uses those metrics to sell. Juleka lentigo Williams, she has this idea of using those numbers to change CPM, and I hope she does. I think it'll be really cool to get people behind her on that mindset. But I would say that post-roll tends to be the cheapest. They're sold for the cheapest. Pre-roll is the second cheapest, and then mid-roll is the highest. And that's because pre-roll, there's a lot of misconception on these. Is pre-roll at the exact zero, zero mark for the episode, or is pre-roll before the body of the content, right? Same with post-roll. Is post-roll at the absolute end, or is it before we cut to credits, right? So because those are there, post-roll, I have a graveyard full of five minutes left in a podcast app or a podcast episode, right? If I search my library, it's just like five, 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 because I just, I'm done. I'm very happy. I know who produces it. I don't need to be part of it anymore. But pre-roll, it can be off-putting, right? We haven't had that audience and host interaction yet. We haven't had the chance for them to sell it. So when we think about pre-roll, we think about it at the exact first thing you listen to, and that's why it's a little bit devalued. Now, mid-roll, we showed an engaged user. They're interested. They're part of it. They're buying into what the host said. That's why that one's the most expensive. That's why there's a company named after it.
2: Right. So if you start with your introduction to your episode, and then you 30 seconds, a minute into it, then you roll an ad, that would be considered a mid-roll rather than a pre-roll because it's coming before the, or it's coming
1: not at zero, zero. I think that if you're selling it, you should bill it as a mid-roll because you'll get a better uh, dollar value out of it. But I think that when I think of it, like, so we had this podcast, like we kicked it off here. I don't know if you guys add a pre-recorded intro to it, but if you do a setup with just the two of you beforehand, if you put an ad anywhere in your setup or before when I, when we're actually talking all together, mm-hmm. to me, that's a pre-roll, me too. but you're going to get less money for it. Same with a post-roll, right? When we hit stop here and then maybe you two continue talking about stuff, you do your wrap-up, that could be a post-roll between where I am, the body of the content, and where your outro is. But the industry just likes flat terms. And it's not a negative. It's because the people spending money outside the space are people making maybe $40,000 a year. They're four steps up from them is their boss who just wants to see an arrow up to the right who doesn't open files or click on links. So they're only looking for the chart screenshotted in the email. That's the thing that we need to realize. We're all passionate about it. We think it's super cool. But the people spending money don't have time to hang out with us or they come into this space. Abandon their high-paying job or low-paying job, apparently, and fight it out here. But that's that's the truth of it. We are living in a world in podcasting where we're trying to bend to the whims of a greater advertising ecosystem, and we lose out for it. But sometimes you got to chase that money.
0: Mm. I've always told any podcasters that's asked me to never put a pre-roll ad in, a pre-roll ad being at 000 of your, of your podcast. Instead, do a tease of your content. To let the audience get to know you, because every time you release a new episode, it is a new opportunity for a new listener. You never know who's now
1: first discovering your podcast at any given point in time. hundred percent. That kills me. That kills me. If I listen to a pod, I'm like, oh, cool, a new podcast. I'm going to check it out. And it's just all automatically a simply safe ad. I'm just like, look, I don't have time for this. I don't know who you are. You don't get to make money off of me before I get to learn from you. Like, kills me. In
0: one of your latest newsletters, you talked about the difference, or not really the difference, but the two sides to attribution being exposure and conversion. Would you mind explaining
1: that a little bit more? Yeah. So the exposure is the podcast listener hearing the ad, and the conversion is the action that we're trying to drive people to take, right? We tend to focus on website action. So Casper mattress, we talk about Casper here. You just heard me say that you're exposed to the ad just kidding it's not based on listens so if your episode was downloaded to that point the full episode was downloaded or or you cut it off at that point you're an exposure and then the conversion is you went to that website now we use device graphs to augment that because in an exposure on an IP address that IP address can be tied to your household that household can have mobile device IDs can have cookies can i have identity data email addresses it can have postal addresses it can have all of that stuff right think about when you sign up for facebook It knows the IP addresses that you're on the most. It knows when it's a home Wi-Fi and whatnot. And you told it your name, your email address, your phone number. That's all the identity information you're giving them, right? And so the idea is that when someone visits the website and makes a purchase, they're matching to a device graph as well to try and augment them. Now, the website can get more data than a podcast. So maybe they get your cookie or maybe it's not a website. Maybe it's an app. So they get your device ID or maybe you have to sign in first to purchase. So they get your email. Maybe you have to list your shipping address so they get your postal address. All those pieces of data go back into the device graph to try and match to your exposure and say that, yes, that exposure that happened in like the last 30 days matched to this specific conversion, meaning that the ad in this podcast was responsible for driving someone to convert. Now, it's definitely not 100% accurate, but it's directional. And that's what's important. It's not about do podcast ads work because all advertising works in some form or another. It's Did ad A work better than ad B? Did targeting this type of podcast work better than that type of podcast? Did pre-roll work better than mid-roll versus post-roll? Did multiple ads in one episode work better than a single ad? All of these different things, you're never going to be able to track every single person one-to-one. So the focus is on what we can track from exposure and what we can match to conversion. That's awesome.
2: Go a little further on that, Brian, with the, the tracking the listeners. How do you feel about transparency with that? Is there a way to to have better transparency or do we need better transparency? Yeah, the
1: apps, the apps should get their shit together. Like I have (laughs) have zero problem calling anybody out there on that. We got to be realistic, right? The United States has one state that has a a, uh, privacy act and that's California, right? But it's opt out. So We're going to ignore it for a bit. We're going to say that we're not served well on privacy here. But the truth is, is that these companies, it's just not going to happen. Nobody's going to ethically opt to not take stuff that they're not regulated not to take until a big enough push happens. But GDPR in Europe is opt-in. And so that means that when I sign up for a Spotify account in those territories, I have to opt into sharing my data. Now, Spotify is motivated to get me to opt-in. The more data they get from me, the better they can do things, right? Right. And so if I opt out or if I don't opt in for them, rather, then they're at a disadvantage. Now, people have talked about, oh, the ability to opt out of each individual podcast. No, the listener is using the app. That's the engagement and the relationship. The rest is just content. So if I opt out of Spotify or opt into Spotify and I'm governed correctly, Spotify should really be telling the podcast hosts And the prefix URLs and the tracking partners and the ad servers, every single thing down the line, Spotify should say, this user has opted out. And now there's an audit trail because everybody receives that information and you just get to build it from there. But we're just not seeing it. There's not a lot of motivation for it until we get all the hosting partners or all the podcasts, uh, like the big publishers to say like, hey, until I get this information, I can't legally serve on your app. We're in a best case scenario. I wrote about it today on uh, attribution in a a privacy-focused world, and there are things you can do. And the biggest thing is sign a data processing agreement. If you receive data and you intend to share it, you need to determine exactly the extent you're willing to share it and what the people can do with it. And that's very important to document. Second part is don't augment. Your IP address on its own is personally identifiable information, but it becomes an invasion of privacy and you lose this concept of legitimate interest, the right to process it. If you turn my IP address into my postal address. So you lose a little bit of accuracy, but there are still things you can do in it. I am pro-privacy, but companies will go out of business if they choose to be like, yeah, we support privacy and we're not doing any of that. And then everybody else does it. They'll just, everybody else will go to that other place. We need better legislation. We need to be protected like that. I personally, you can find my phone number and email address and postal address on the internet. That's not great. But for me, like I'm exposed, the most I can say is I wish I got better ads. I wish when I bought a product, they sold me the accessories through an ad instead of being like, hey, we know you bought that uh, Dungeons and Dragons book. You want to buy the same book again? And it's like, I don't. I don't. What about the sequel? Like, what about the next one?
0: <laughs> Brian, we could literally talk to you here for hours, but uh, we know that your time is limited. We hope that uh, you might be available to join us again on a future episode. We'd love to have you. in get even more deeper into this whole ad tech world, which is uh, a place that I'm certainly not super comfortable with talking about from my own experiences, but I'm glad that you're around. Where can
1: people find you, Brian? Yeah, they can find everything at soundsprofitable.com. I don't charge for anything. I'm fully sponsor supported. And the entire goal is to educate people on podcast advertising technology, so that they can become smarter and better than me. And we can make uh, the space a little bit bigger. And you have a podcast too, right? I do. You can catch it on uh, the same website. There's a link out to it, or you can just search Sounds Profitable on wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Awesome. Brian, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure. Brian Barletta, John. Fantastic stuff, as always. What an excellent conversation, man. I really enjoyed this. We literally could sit down and talk with him for hours, and I'm a little disappointed in myself that I forgot to ask him specifically relating to advertising with those big three. You know, right now, a lot of these ad tech solutions are built with being platform agnostic, right? But now that specific platforms are owning this ad technology, how long is it until, say, Apple decides, well, you're not going to make money off of our platform anymore because your competitor platform, mm. right? So how long is it before Apple says, Spotify, you can no longer make money using your dynamic ad insertion technology on our platform, or you can still make that money, but you're going to pay a price. Right. Right. That's the part that I'm a little concerned about could end up happening. And I'd love to talk to Brian a little bit more about that. That I'm sure will come up in a very, (laughs) in a future
2: episode. I think so too. The thing that I found interesting. I mean, obviously all the talk that we had with the dynamic ad insertion, but a couple of the points that Brian made with. The ad placement within the episode, the pre, post, mid-roll, I found that really interesting on what's considered a pre-roll, what's considered a mid-roll, what's considered a post-roll. Is it 0.00 for a pre-roll or is it after the ads? I love your point on never placing an ad at the very beginning because if you're looking for a new podcast, who's going to really want to listen to two, three, four minutes of ads before they really get into the content? It's better, like you said, it's best to provide a preview of what's to come
0: before you get into your ads. Plus it just it gives that new audience an opportunity to get to know who you are. Yeah. And what they're to expect on the show before you start selling them on a product. Remember, every new episode is an opportunity for a new listener every single time. Uh so you can never forget that as a content creator.
2: That's right. And the other cool thing was the the conversation you guys both had on well
0: specifically your feelings on Going to a break, which I I thought that was excellent. Anyone that listens to this episode and has now heard me and my rant about we're going to break and we're back, if I hear those phrases on your podcast, I will hunt you down with my lightsaber. (laughs) I will. I I will. And if you don't believe that I have a lightsaber, well, I've seen some videos. Lightsabers are coming. Nice. (laughs) You're in the Death Star already. So. (laughs) That's right. People don't know that because this is audio only, but um, my video background is of the deck of the Death Star. Don't say those words. Tease your content, make your content flow better. And the beauty of it being a podcast is it's all pre-recorded, So you'll already know where your transition point is, and then you can write the perfect transition for your breaks based on the knowledge of what exactly is coming up next so that you can tease your audience, get them to be more engaged. They will sit. They're more likely to sit through your ad knowing what's coming up. I mean, that's TV shows do this to us all the time. This is nothing new. This is why TV shows let us sit on that cliff. It's sort of like, oh, what's going to happen next? I can't wait to find out. Well, you're going to have to wait two and two, as Chuck (laughs) Woolery used to like to say, to find out exactly what happens to get you off that cliff. I mean, it's an age old storytelling trick. And it's something that we should be doing a lot more of in podcasting. We're supposed to be innovating here. We're not supposed to continue to fall back on the crutches of bad broadcasters. Great point. Awesome. Well, John, if people have more thoughts and questions for future episodes with Brian or future questions for us uh, on this podcast, how can people get in touch with you and queued up? You can reach out through the website,
2: which is queuedup.com, qd-up.com through email info at queuedup.com, or you can reach us on any of our social channels.
0: By the way, the website's going, undergoing some changes, which is quite nice. The podcast player now right up at the top. Uh, so you can listen to the Queued Up podcast on podcasting whenever you want via qd-up.com. You can reach me. On the social medias. I'm at the real Pod Vader on Twitter. My DMs are open, uh, so I'm easily available to talk to. You can also reach me on LinkedIn. I'm Pod Vader there. So again, search for Pod Vader, very easy to get a hold of. If you prefer email nextfanup at gmail.com, it is the email for my little football podcast that I do, but uh, it's the best way to get in touch with me. And I would love to talk to you and love to hear some feedback on our conversation with Brian and Looking forward to talking with Brian in some future episodes. So for John, I'm Pod Vader. There you have.